Jesus probably had a big penis. Yeah. So I think it would only be Christian of us, good girls of us, to have sex with guys with penises like Jesus. Absolutely. I think so. We we should probably go for guys that look like Jesus. Oh yeah. Oh, Those guys God. do not look like Jesus. So I saw Star Wars. Yeah, how was it? Terrible. Oh yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it looks lame. It's gonna bomb. The Bible tells me I've to be respectful to women. I've gotten a lot of slice. Just cool. Can't. All right. Bobbings. Did you hear about Ellen Barrett? Wow. A woman ordained? He was the king of rock and roll. I just bought tickets to see him next week. I can't believe he's gone. I'm not sure if it's the Wang or the under garden. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. There's a bulge. There's something going on there. I'm so excited. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I plan on torquing the shit out of Bambi up there. And I plan on being balls deep in Betty before 10 o'clock. Jesus, guys, language. Okay. So I know you're not going to believe me, but this is a horror movie and is not actually the intro to a porn movie. Also, all of that was not edited footage that's literally just the first 60 seconds of the film and you can tell that it's not a porn movie because the cast includes ron jeremy well fuck everyone no welcome back to don't watch this film the podcast where we watch some of the worst horror movies in history so that you don't have to summer fun continues my name is w adam clark my name is tia and i am still baffled by what the hell my eyes just took it i mean yeah it's like i know exactly what i just saw and have no idea what the last 90 minutes were spent doing there is one thing you could definitively say and that is that this is a film <laughs> but all markers by which film is quantified yes this qualifies as a motion picture this this is this is definitely a film um we are talking of course about the 2012 class, I can't even finish that word with a straight face, bloody, bloody Bible camp. So this is a horror comedy, which is a parody of late 70s, early 80s camp slashers. This isn't unintentional either. There, there's no unintentional satire here. This uh, film knows exactly what the hell it's there, doing. There is nothing unintentional in this whatsoever. It is... I, it, to say it is overt, I think may actually be an understatement. Okay, so what the what the hell even is this? I'm gonna give you a synopsis, and I'm gonna quantify it the best way I can. But I'm promising you now that I am promising nothing with regards to. Okay, so I'm gonna give the teaser synopsis, which is the short synopsis, and then you're gonna fill in the what the fuck moments. Okay, so there's a camp. A nun kills people. The nun is named Sister Mary Chopper. Reggie Bannister tries to save everyone who's left from the return of Sister Mary Chopper. 
after being spurred to action by Jesus, played by Ron Jeremy. Well, there goes one of my major spoilers. Don't worry, I'm going to spoil that shit in the intro. They already heard that part. Ah, fuck. Alright, okay, so what It's a major plot point of the movie that Ron Jeremy is actually Jesus. Like, and I honestly feel like they wanted it to be, like, not Ron Jeremy playing Jesus. I kind of get the vibe that it was Ron Jeremy playing Jesus, who is, in fact, Ron Jeremy. Yeah, no, there, there is a very, very, there's several meta levels there. It's literally just, it's Ron Jeremy playing Ron Jeremy as Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. it you're, fucking hell, this movie, all right, okay, Although so, I did not know that Ron Jeremy was so skilled with the harmonica. I mean. Spend that many decades practicing shit with your lips, eventually something's gonna. I guess, I mean, that, that checks. All right, please continue, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Okay, so what in the holy hell is a film with a title of bloody, bloody Bible camp even about? I'm using plot in the loosest way possible. In the late 1970s, a group of devout Christians at a Bible camp in Upper New Appalachia, Pacific, Heartland, get together to have sex and get high when they start being massacred one by one. Only two of the campers end up surviving the slaughter, leading into seven years later when yet another group of campers are heading up to use the campground for a weekend to see if the church is interested in purchasing the land for retreats, revivals, yeah. whatever the hell This would use. be a new church run by Father Cummings, not the same group that was there seven years ago, and the camp has not been used in the interim time. Yeah, it's been deserted because of the legend running around it. it, it... There's been there were two survivors. One of them we'll get back to, and the other one I'm not even mentioning because he doesn't matter. <clears throat> one of the he doesn't. Nothing in this matters. The fact not, that this movie exists doesn't even matter. It's just <laughs> one of the helpers on the second trip is Millie, who was one of the survivors of the '70s slaughter at the hands of someone called Sister Mary Chopper, who has become a legend in the area and is why the site is dubbed Bloody Bloody Bible Camp. And yes, we get the most forced, protracted title drop on the face of the fucking planet. Just go with it. It's exactly as obvious as you think it is. Millie is traveling with the group to assist Father Richard Cummings and has told no one about the previous incidents despite ongoing trauma over the entire ordeal. Apparently seeing someone that you were just minutes ago having sex with getting half to bits does a number on the psyche who the hell knew who knew by the way what was the name of the priest the reggie bannister place father richard cummings yes his name is dick cummings do you get it do you go christ that's probably as subtle as this film gets to be completely honest so that's, i mean that's, that's fairly bar. nuanced compared to some of the rest of the movie <laughs> <clears throat> so, while this new round of campers, I think it's 84, I think is the time frame we're looking at now. Eventually, Sister Mary Chopper starts back up with a round of killings, eventually only leaving Father Cummings and Jennifer, a goth camper who tagged along for some reason, alive. After attacking the father, Cummings has a near-death experience where he meets Ron Jeremy as Jesus, who tells him that being homosexual is okay, as it's been a bit of a theme in the movie, in the same way that Jesus has just a bit of a penis. But that leading all the kids up here when Father Cummings knew the history of the camp was wrong, and the father must atone by saving the camp. 
It's revealed that Sister Mary Chopper is Eugene, a local goth Jennifer had flirted with in a convenience store at the beginning of the film, and whose descent to madness is never explained outside of one isolated scene where a nun beats the hell out of Eugene as a kid while telling Eugene that he is and must be a woman. Side note, what on earth is it with all these male slashers getting fucked up by prominent female figures in their lives trying to make them into women? That 500 know. megaton bomb of a plot point is going to show itself again soon on this podcast, hint fucking hint. It might. Anyway, that Mother Superior was actually played by Gigi Bannister, which is Reggie Bannister's wife. Little side, side note. Uh, that, just, that just opens dimensions I didn't need open. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. You're welcome. Also, <laughs> she's a hell of a bartender. She makes really good mixed drinks. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound secondhand anecdotal. It's not. Damn. I'm telling you, you gotta write a book. For fuck's sakes, just do that shit sometime. <laughs> for crying out loud. After the ordeal, Eugene was led to believe Sin must be punished with death, hence the whole Sister Mary Chopper. Actually, the outfit's not bad. He wears an Oni mask in a fucking nun's habit. Yeah, and it's like, it, it's repainted to be like this, like, really rust red. It's like really dark, almost brown. Like, it, it's, there's some nice things that they sneak in into this movie, I'm kind of convinced by accident. Anything good in something like this that was intentionally made to be bad is purely incidental. Having been stopped at the camp, Father Cummings manages to kill Eugene and see the camp off peacefully. And for some reason, I don't know if it was the fact that it was back in 2012 or not, but for some reason, the guy who plays Eugene, I believe he's Tim Sullivan, yep. looks a hell of a lot like the wrestler Brock Lesnar. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. I don't know why. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. The guy is kind of built pretty thick, so probably just... Tim Sullivan's a pretty big dude. I think he's like 6'2 or 6'3, so, I mean, he's, yes. he's, he's a big, big dude. I've never met him personally, but I know many people that have, and I know that how tall Reggie is. Reggie is taller than me. Tim was taller than Reggie, so he's Holy a big shit. dude. Damn. Yeah, my last line is, God, this movie is bad. That's it. That's okay. it. That's where the movie ends. We get a shot of Jesus walking into the the back lot, presumably to take all the souls of the people that are dead away, and condemning those of us who actually watch this movie to hell, which is fair. I mean, to be fair, he only actually con con condemns one person watching the movie. We just don't yeah. know which one of us it was. Eh. I'm going probably me, but... Mm -hmm. Who can say? Anyway, so this movie is R for Ron Jeremy appears. Uh, the genre is horror comedy slash parody. It is directed by Vito Tribuco, who's best known for Henchman, the Al Leong story in 2018. Never opened the door in 2014. And the upcoming Psycho Agogo in 2022, a movie that I assure you we're going to have to cover why in the hell is that ringing so many bells? Was that Is that a remake of something else? Which one? Never opened the door? No, no, no. Psycho Go Go. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. That I mean, it's been so... talked about a lot recently because it like got pushed back because of. Okay, that's what I'm remembering. Yeah, okay, it got, yeah, it got pushed okay. back by the apocalypse of 2020. Mm -hmm. So as did so many other things in production. So we'll see a flood at some point. I'm sure. As did like my life. Can you believe we are halfway through 2021? already like it Fuck felt like enough. 2020 took like 35 decades and 2021 like we're already halfway through it's been like 15 minutes 
It really, it's kind of like after, you know, a really nasty festering wound starts healing and starts closing up really rapidly and just trying to, like, you know, knit back together and forget that massive fucking pus-infected shit ever happened to it. I'm That's kind of how I've... Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. The film was written by Shelley McIntyre and Vito Tribuco, neither of which are really known for their writing capabilities. Both are usually... I mean, aside from say. you don't say, aside from uh, Mr. Tribuco having directed those few things, both of them are normally producers. Oddly enough, they didn't produce this. This was produced by Reggie Bannister and David Hayes. The release date is May fifth, twenty twelve. The budget is I don't know. The box office gross was don't worry about it, and the runtime is an hour and thirty minutes. Rotten Tomatoes gave this a critical score of nope, not watching it. Uh, and it has an audience review score of 10%. IMDb has an aggregate score of 4.7. The movie stars Reggie Bannister as Father Richard Cummings. If that name is familiar to horror fans, it's because Reggie Bannister played Reggie, last name unknown, but probably Bannister, in the Phantasm series. And he played Honey Bunny in the Killer Wave series. And he's been in 50 other horror movies aside from those over the last 45 years. One of those being Bubba Hotep, which if you have not yes. seen, you should. He was the uh, motel clerk in Bubba yes. Hotep, if I remember right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, there's that, Reggie Bannister. Also, Tim Sullivan as Sister Mary Chopper, also Eugene. Again, not often an actor. Fortunately, doesn't need to do much acting in this aside from acting mental. He's best known actually as a producer being responsible for Detroit Rock City, and I was a teenage werebear. Yvette Corvia. Uh, I was a teenage werebear? Yeah. That's a thing that exists. That is a thing that exists. It's not a feature. It's a short that's in an anthology. But uh, look it up. I'm sure you can find just I was a teenage werebear on YouTube, separate from the rest of the anthology. But it's, it's, wow. it's okay. a thing. Yvette Corvia plays... Miley, who was the survivor originally, so she plays herself and then herself seven years later. Um, best known for her roles in Run, Bitch, Run in 2009 and Down and Dangerous in 2013 and the series They Live Among Us from 2011 to 2013. And Deborah Venegas, I'm not sure, I apologize, plays Jennifer, who is best known for playing Maria in Never Open the Door and Lex in The Haunting of Alice D in 2014. Also, as mentioned, the role of Jesus by way of Ron Jeremy is played by Ron Jeremy. And again... Best five minutes of the film. Only five minutes of the film. He's, he literally only gets five minutes of screen I'm time. I'm pretty like sure that. that's all they could afford him for. Now, to be fair, casting Ron Jeremy in 2011 for a film releasing in 2012 is not as problematic as it would be casting Ron Jeremy for a film in 2020 or 2021. That being said, you could also argue that casting Ron Jeremy at any time since 1971 has never not been problematic. So in case anyone does not know who Ron Jeremy is, Ron Jeremy is without question one of the top five most in-slash-famous male porn stars in the 
porn film industry over the last 50 years? If there's a few names, I mean, Peter North, uh, Ron Jeremy, I should know more, but I don't watch that much live human. Anyway, um, you know the name. If you don't know anything else, he was one of the more prominent extras in the original Ghostbusters. Yes. Oddly enough, and no one knew he was there. According to legend, they didn't even know that he was in the extras until they were editing the film and then realized they couldn't edit around the appearance of Ron Jeremy in the film. Again, because Ron Jeremy just happened to be in New York that day. So, fuck it. Showed up as an extra. Nobody caught it. Um, it, it, I guarantee you, if even if you've never seen his movies, you know who he is. He's been around. He's been in a ton of things, often just referenced as Ron Jeremy or as, was that the guy? Um, and then, of course, this year, a number of sex scandals, go figure, uh, have come out that... You mean back. a porn star has a checkered past? What the hell are you saying, lady? Not I mean, yeah, it's... And to be fair, like, the porn industry of today is barely recognizable as descended from the porn industry of 50 years ago. So, like, to, to say that 50 years ago it was seedy and near illegal on all fronts uh, is an understatement. So, not, a, not exactly surprising. inspired from nowhere. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so we have a film. We, we can definitely prove it is a film. It is a film produced and inspired by a more than 40-year, actually at that time, a more than 35-year veteran of the genre, mm -hmm. starring people who have been involved in horror films since at least the 90s, and also Ron Jeremy. Aside from that sentence, what went wrong with this film? I still, I've been thinking about this for some four, five, six hours while I was at work. How can you say something went wrong when this film turned out exactly as was intended? Nothing I, I agree went with you. wrong if nothing was supposed to go right. I. I... I'm not going to say that I think this is a great or even good film. I am going to say that it delivered exactly what Reggie Bannister wanted this fucking movie to deliver. There is no question in my mind that when he got done with this, he was like, rap, that was perfect. We're done here. This is exactly what we wanted to do. It hits all the check marks of a late 70s, early 80s camp horror movie. The homages and the cinematography are actually very well done. I mean, you can tell it was made in non-era time frames, but the crew especially went exceedingly out of their way to make this look first late 70s. Oh my god, everything is late 70s. Yes. And then flash forward mid-80s oh my god everything is mid-80s yes it is 
it, down to like the camera focus almost. I, like, I was they... going to bring up the camera because especially mm -hmm. for the the intro part, which happens mm -hmm. very much in the seventies. Oh yeah. It's funny, you know, because we were just talking in the in the pre-film about the use of digital versus actual film. Either that dash cam shot that's the intro with the overdubbed audio, mm -hmm. either that was actually shot with a film camera. Mm-hmm. Or somebody went through a hell of a lot of work to make that look like it was shot with a film camera. That honestly, either way, wouldn't surprise me. If somebody literally was like following behind this far away in another car to get that shot, or vice versa, I mean, they—it's a continuous take. Like it's yeah. not a broken take. So no. literally. There, the entire opening, while they're flashing the credits, is them singing a I Love Jesus creepy song on a guitar, because that's what they all are. Right. And literally, it's from the bottom of part of a mountain range to the top of a mountain range to the bottom part of a mountain range until they pull into a convenience store. There's no... It is one continuous shot. And I don't think they miss focus or miss a line the entire time. And also, the length of that shot is almost exactly the length of a reel of film. Like, that is a long reel shot. So, mm -hmm. I really think that might have... Either that was an actual vintage camera that they used for that, which probably has its own hit backstory of was used in, in Night of the Living Dead or something like that. Or... Mm -hmm. That was a digital shot that was heavily posted to make it look like it was a a seventies film reel and cinematography. Like they it was spot really the fuck on. This film has better cinematography than it fucking deserves, quite frankly. Yes. Yes, it does. You I say mean, nothing of I mean okay. Again, we're not we're not treading any new ground. If you've seen a seventies, eighties slasher, you know exactly what you're getting. But the opening death counter, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Is surprisingly I don't want to go all the way and say it's creepy, but they do manage to make it somewhat tense. Until, you know, we start cutting to the, you know, goofy shit, like, you know, the guy coming back to the girl, he told to wait, spread over the stump, and starts having sex with her, and then her head falls. But, I mean, so much of this is exactly what they wanted it to be, because when you think about all of those early 70s, early 80s horror movies, you know, all of those camp films, all of the bottle films, all the way back to, like, My Bloody Valentine and Black Christmas... With very few exceptions, all of them start really strong, and then halfway, a third, two-thirds of the way through, what have you, they drop the plot, and they just become, oh, well, this isn't scary. It's just kind of goofy in a 
you sort of way. I guess we'll keep watching the movie. At that point, I mean, the amount of engagement that you will have versus the actual runtime of the so-called film, that's one of the biggest... If if you're going to say anything went wrong, I hit the forward 30-second button on Tubi so fucking much and didn't feel like I missed anything. There are spots of... I am mildly amused enough to watch this. Bracketed by 5, 10, or 15 minutes of just either dead silence, establishing shots, or I don't give a shit. Yes. Going on. And I mean, they hit all of the late 70s, early 80s tropes. You have, you know, the bad girl, you have the chaste girl, you have the fat kid. You have the token black guy who, (laughs) by the way, token black guy played by Jay Fields, who I fucking swear I have seen other places, and his IMDb record has two entries. I swear I know this dude from somewhere. Uh, Stuntman? Extra? Maybe? Maybe has one of those faces? I mean... Who knows? So, yeah, there's that, but... You know, the girl with a tormented past, I vis-a-vis, you know, yeah. she was... She saw the shit go down. Um, rednecks. You, you expect her to be the final girl, and she's not. Rednecks. Uh, again, late 70s, early 80s, you know, homosexuality was a hot topic. Ironically, it was again in the early 2010s. So that played rather nicely. Like, there's kind of a social commentary running through the movie. Are we really going to give the movie that much fucking credit? No, we're not. (laughs) That's why I said kind of. But they do bring up repeatedly. This, these people are this. This is a sin. And then... Literally, Jesus fucking Christ shows up and goes, nah, I don't care. It's fine. Although, bringing your kids to a camp where they potentially could get murdered, that's not acceptable, you fucking homo. Literally a line from the movie. Like, so it takes its own message and then counters its own message and then resupports the message. It's like, again, line that was thrown in for comedy Eight years later, already hasn't aged well. There's a lot in this movie that didn't age well. But to be fair to it, that's because most of it isn't supposed to be eight-year-old comedy. At this point, most of it is supposed to be the illusion of 30-year-old comedy. And 30-year-old comedy often doesn't age well because comedy needs to be topical and current. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure as current as 2012 is what we can possibly hope for going forward. It's not getting any better. I, I did really like the fact that they talked about Star Wars being a fad and it'll never catch on. That was nice. That conversation, I could have sworn they just threw in to piss people off. So, yeah. So, um, what went wrong? Reggie Bannister got drunk in a bar and pitched the idea of this movie and someone agreed to help him make it. I mean, that's pretty much what went wrong. We could have... I, I, I missed it. What was the budget for this? I don't Did know. Get one? Okay. All right. Not so someone, a fucking I, lot. 
someone somewhere at least either knew someone who had a checkbook or had a checkbook themselves to shell out enough to get this picture made because talk about a bottle feature we get a convenience store and a camp and some roads that's that's it that's all the taking place this takes place in ironically most of the most expensive stuff in this movie is the period equipment like the van is decked out really 1982 to 83. The sets when they're in the intro is really 1977. The all of the clothing, all of the gear, a lot of the stuff in the convenience store, although one mm-hmm. of the one of the cooler cabinets was a drink that doesn't didn't exist until 2010. But aside from that, like everything else is like really really well done period wise so now someone in casting apparently had an eye for detail yeah so like there's a lot of things in this movie that you can point to and say this was really well done i i can't say that about the movie but i can say that about things that appeared in the movie only the one thing i do want to point out is that okay so Ron Jeremy is the bright spot in this film by a country ass mile. Like, oh, as a Reggie Bannister fan, I'm going to argue that you know Reggie Bannister pulling out the guitar, oh, it is always just always makes me smile and cheer in a, in a theater. But uh, I'll, sure. I'll I'll give you that argument. You can continue. For those of us who don't have an attachment to Reggie Bannister, Ron Jeremy is the draw. However, comma Tim Sullivan playing Sister Mary Chopper. I'm pretty sure the director just said, here's what your character is, here's where what your character's motivations are, how you get there is up to you, have fun with it. And he just took that and just ran like hell. <laughs> he is definitely chewing the scenery in every scene that he's in. Like, There's... everyone in this is just chewing scenery. Like, <laughs> this is a bunch of actors paying homage to a genre that they love and admit was fucking bad. Like, that's my take on this movie. It's a dozen actors got together and went, you know what, we're going to make a late 70s, early 80s camp horror movie that's just as fucking bad as the 70s and 80s camp horror movies. The difference is, we know it's bad. They thought it was great. We it's know this shit is terrible. Yes, this is this is a love letter to a greasy fifty cent slice of pizza store. Like that's what this is. You know that pizza joint that you don't want to eat at because the pizza is greasy and it's slimy. And it almost smells like anchovies, even when you don't have anchovies on it, and you don't know why. Like. You know this place. You probably went there a lot in college because it was the only thing you could fucking afford, right? So that, imagine a diner opening that tries to serve nothing but what that fucking pizza joint served. And that's what this movie is. This is people getting together and intentionally doing something that they know was bad at the time, but they fucking loved it anyway. So they're like, you know what people don't do anymore? This movie. We're going to do this movie. We hope you like it, too. 
we've really enjoyed them. Most of you weren't born the last time one of these movies was made. So we're going to make this movie. And I really think that's what it was. And like it comes across that way. There are things that like for all of the fucking attention that we just said they paid to the truck and the clothing and the costuming and the cinematography and the interior design of the cabin and all of this shit. Ron Jeremy is wearing a fucking Halloween adventure store Jesus costume. Like it's ah. it's fucking terrible. The most expensive thing that he's wearing is the fucking harmonica. Yes. <laughs> and it's just But there is one oh. scene that I have to point out just because it did actually unironically make me laugh my ass off. Go for it. There's a scene where okay. The running theme, if there is an overarching message in the movie, is that it's okay to be gay. Just don't take kids to a line of fire where they're no doubt going to get their throats slashed open because that's bad. Right. Gay, okay. What? Threatening children, bad. That's the moral of the story. To be fair, it's probably a better moral than most of the shit we get now. Anyways, point B. Sister Mary Chopper, during one of her stalkings, is going after the chased girl who has been hit on by everything except for the fat, slow guy who we've, we could have an entire discussion about that character, but we're not going to, is in bed thinking that the macho jock guy who desperately wants you to think he's not gay and desperately almost pulls it off is laying next to her. She starts talking about, you know, these things called loopholes and... You know, baby God won't be angry with us if we do it in the bud, which just reminds me of a Garfunkel and Oates song, which you should look up if you get a chance because it's fucking hilarious. Point being, the person next to her is not Tad. It is Sister Mary Chopper. While she's going through this dissection in her head out loud, you see his face lean up over her and she doesn't know it's him. And she starts going on about, well, maybe my, you know, this might be okay, and God will forgive us. And he just starts doing this shaking the head, nodding the head thing to He's what like, yep, she's yep, saying. Yep, yep, yep. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I was planning on killing you, but um, 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 anal sex I, with I, a virginal I'll, hot minor. I mean, sure, why not? Works for me. Let's go. I'll, I'll put aside the homicidal voices for just a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They can wait. They can wait five fucking minutes because that's all it's going to take. God damn it. Like, uh, yeah. And it was just a great scene. Like, you literally, I swear the mask was almost animatronic in that scene because it was lit so well. Again, shit that is too good for this movie because it was lit so well in the way he was moving. Like, you could almost see the bar on the side of the mask when he turned the head. Like, everything really worked in that scene. And. It's, it's a hilarious scene. And then it goes, oh, wait, no, no, we're a killer movie, right? Like, back to, back to that again. But I mean, uh, I... <sighs> There's flashes of what you knew was going on behind the curtain, but the curtain was so heavy and thick and flamboyant that, like... There wasn't a lot of that that was actually going to get through to the main projection. And I, I'm telling you, that is a description of Reggie Bannister to a fucking T. Like, he has always been one of my favorite actors in horror. And I was fortunate enough to be able to tell him this when I met him in, like, 1991. So, like, there's a long-standing relationship there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I met him when I was working for a company called Little Pictures Productions in 1991. We were at a horror convention 
in New York, and we ran into him at a horror convention in New York and like hung out with him for like an hour and like that was that was the start, right? So and literally every horror convention I have ever fucking been to since then has had Reggie Bannister in it. He is one of the hardest working people in the industry because he loves the fans. He is not he is a member of the horror community not because it gets him a paycheck, but because even if he wasn't acting, he would be a member of the horror community. He loves horror. He loves horror movies. He loves horror books. He loves horror comedy. He loves horror talking music. Talking about horror. He loves talking about horror. Fans. Yeah. Like, you will always find him, well, until now, because his health is declining, so he's no longer going to be on the circuit. But you could always find him doing at least one panel, usually seven, and... Like, always had signings, always had things I want to hear really, really gracious, would take an hour to talk to you if he had one. Every like, fucking just... fan ever. Like, I can tell you multiple stories of him signing 8x10s, but mm -hmm. a fan coming up not having the 5 or $10 or whatever it was that year for an 8x10, and just being like, man, I... I I've seen you in this and this and this and this and this, and I'm I'm just out of money. I bought this thing over here, the collectibles, and he would be like, dude, let me take a look at that. And then they would talk about the collectible that the guy bought and what movie it was from, and Reggie would be like, did you know the actor that played this in this movie? He actually got to start doing this over here. Wow, I didn't know that. And like after like 15 minutes, he'd then sign a fucking 8x10, give it to the kid, and go, hey, man, have a great day. Like That was just Reggie. That, that, that's Reggie. And that's this movie. This movie is a love letter to shitty horror. And it has <laughs> flashes of brilliance. And as an actor, Reggie Bannister had flashes of brilliance. There are individual scenes in different things that he's done where he looks great. And then most of the time, he's the dude with a bad ponytail driving an ice cream truck playing an acoustic fucking guitar. And everything that you just mentally, everything that you just mentally had for that image in your head, is probably better than what was on film. Like that's just Reggie. He's just a guy that happens to be in this industry because he knew people thirty-five years ago and still knows them today. Like he's a great guy. He's never going to make it out of genre films. I don't think he ever really wanted to. He's just. Reggie is just Reggie. He's one of a kind. You would still know him being a horror fan just from him being who he is. The fact that he is a known name. <clears throat> the fact that he is a known name in the horror circuit is almost incidental. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. Nothing went wrong with this movie. Who would like this film? <laughs> If and, and I'm not saying nothing is wrong with this movie. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying nothing is wrong with this movie. I'm saying nothing went wrong. They got exactly what they intended. Good, bad, indifferent. This movie is what this movie set out to be. It didn't go wrong. It just started wrong. That's it. You are you are getting nothing more or nothing less than what it says on the fucking tin. That's it. Who would like this movie? Oh, God. If you're a Reggie Bannister fan, if you're a Ron Jeremy fan, you will like this movie. If you are a fan of campy horror homages, God, you'll like this movie. Um, 
if you like horror that by no means has the ability to take itself too seriously, you will like this movie. Um, my, my tag that I put down was, if you're a fan of 70s, early 80s camp horror and willing to admit that most of it is bad, you'll like this movie. Hey, that's our shit you're making fun of. It's worth making fun of. Sorry. Yeah. And it is. Oh. But this film knows that. This film is... there. I don't think I've seen a film more self-aware since... God, Troll 2? Yeah. And Maybe honestly, it... even Troll 2 wasn't this self-aware. I don't think they knew that they were making Troll 2 when they made Troll 2. I think they knew they were making a direct-to-VHS and it was going to be a shitty movie, but they didn't know they were making Troll 2, because who the fuck ever would? Um, yeah. This movie this, this... knew that it was making Bloody Bloody Bible Camp. Um, and, it's, and here's the thing. It's not ashamed of that fact. Not it at all. It never once pretends like it's something to be derided or something to shy away from. This film knows what it is, and it fucking owns the hell out of it from second one. Uh, two reviews that I saw about this. One's from HorrorNews.net, where they said the film is offensive to some and merely trash to others. Uh, but that they enjoyed the movie, and they hoped that it eventually would achieve cult status. Uh, ComingSoon.net reviewed the movie and said that it took a little bit of time to get to the main killings, but I think that was intentional because, again, very 70s, 80s. Uh, and they Over. said that it does a good job of capturing the feel of late 70s, early 80s horror films. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can't disagree with either of these reviews. I, I can't say this is a good movie, I can't say it's not the movie it wanted to be. I mean, this movie, you know, it knows it's a tramp, and it fucking struts down the street in its trampiness. Like, it has... It's a... it, it It's just gonna go out there as a queen, and it knows it. So... What more can you say? Shit. It's about the highest compliment you can give something that sets out to be something like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it knows what it wants to be. It does it. It accomplishes it. It's... I'm not going to say it's great. I'm not going to tell you that everybody needs to see this movie, because you fucking don't. <clears throat> but if, you, if you're a fan of the late 70s and early 80s, if you are a fan of of parody horror because a lot of people aren't if you don't like parody horror you are not going to like this movie one bit Ew, gosh, if, no. if you like <clears throat> if you like period horror and you like horror parody check this out it's on amazon prime for a rental for a couple bucks uh if you have shutter i believe it's on shutter or somewhere else right now it's available on tubi because God, their curators are phenomenal. Pluto TV, also for free. It's on Hulu. If you, if, okay. you, if you can deal with a few, if you can deal with a few ads, um, yeah, I I don't think we're gonna get by without mentioning Tubi at least once an episode because it's so fucking good. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not setting out to watch movies that are on Tubi and available for free. I'm setting out to watch like when I put a movie on the schedule, it's because it's a movie that I want to talk about for one reason or another. I haven't even looked to see if they're available or not. So. And then I look them up and I go, oh, it's on Tubi. Okay. 
Well, that saved a couple bucks. This is not supposed to be the all to be endorsement channel. We are not sponsored, but I mean, stuff that ends up we end up finding on Tubi is surprisingly rich. Yeah, like God, I again, I don't know who's again curating their horror selection at least, but they're doing a really good job of it. Phenomenal, phenomenal job. Okay, so. At Don't Watch This Film, we use a rather unique scoring system, lovingly known as the DWTF meter. On the DWTF meter, every film scores a one, because let's face it, you shouldn't watch most of these films. However, the important thing is one out of what? A one out of one is a instant classic that is somehow missed or misunderstood, and you need to go check that out right now. A one out of two is a great movie that is flawed in some way, all the way down to a one out of ten, which is a movie that uh, Sister Mary Chopper needs to stab with a sharpened crucifix. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention that she uses a sharpened crucifix as a killing device. Sometimes. Occasionally. Sometimes it's a rosary. Sometimes it's an axe. You know, she's she's a very fluid killer. So, yeah. Thea, first or second? I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. No worries. Um, Good, because I still don't fucking know. I might just, like, roll a die or something. I okay. So initially, I thought I was going to specifically give this movie something just out of the gate and just keep it there. And as I watched the thing, I started thinking that more and more, and then more and more, and then more and more. However, remembering the good parts forces me to reconsider the score I was going to give it. And no, this is not bumping it up into, like, one out of two territories, so relax. I initially was going to give it, like, a one out of eight. But, even I'm forced to admit, the parts that are clever, the cinematography that is very good, and the stuff that made me laugh, again, this is not masterful cinema by any stretch of the imagination. However... Despite it having very long stretches of just bland meh going on, it still turns out to be surprisingly watchable. Even if you need to fast forward through a couple 30 second stretches here or there. So, that being said, it's watchable, but is just enough to bump it out of my 1 out of 5 to a 1 out of 6. If it's around and you really have nothing better to do and you like any of the things we've talked about, go watch it. No, you don't need to see it again unless you really want to. I mean, it's a good drinking movie to have on in the background when you're hosting a party, let's be fair. But the few times you do see the cogs turning behind the curtain is not enough to elevate it past just a watchable novelty that barely qualifies as watchable. So for me, as much as I want to give it a 1 out of 5 and just say it's middle of the road, it's easy to watch, you're going to have an okay time, I can't even do that, but I I can't even give it the low rating that I wanted to because it's better than that. So yeah, I'm going to give this a 1 out of 6. That's fair. I'm really torn on this because, like, the things that I don't like about this movie, I recognize are authentic. And what I mean by that is... Aren't just you problems this time? <laughs> what's that? 
These aren't just you problems this time? Yeah, these aren't just me problems this time. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is I consider locker room humor to be like one of the lowest rungs of humor. There's a lot of locker room humor in this movie. Guess what? The era of locker room movies was 1980 to 1984. So they're paying homage to the era of film that they're trying to cover by putting in shitty fart jokes and shit jokes. And, you know, like, I don't want to say that objectification is okay because it was a thing that happened in the 80s. But when you're making a period film, it would kind of seem inauthentic to not have some of that, right? Yeah. Like, you can't get even good movies, even Oscar award winners in the early 80s, you couldn't get through without objectification of some layer or form or the mention of somewhere. Like, it was just pervasive. So to do a movie with 2020 or 2010 sensibilities and try to set it in 1984, it wouldn't feel right. It wouldn't look right. It wouldn't jive. So you've got to do some of these things for the film to work and be authentic. So even the things that I don't like, I mean, they need to be there. It chalk Ron Jeremy into that category too. Nowadays, not much of a fan. Ask me that question, 1984, you're going to get a different answer. Like, it just, there are things in this movie that work. You don't want them to work, but you have to admit they work. I'm a huge Reggie Bannister fan. Again, seeing Reggie Bannister break out an acoustic guitar in a movie will always make me cheer, like audibly cheer, when Reggie Bannister just breaks out a guitar and starts singing a bad song badly, mostly because I know he's actually a good singer and never sings good in movies. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. Um, so let me ask you this, because I'm yeah. curious. If Reggie Bannister was not attached to this and someone else had made it and put another guy of similar stature, build, and mannerisms in Reggie Bannister's place, what would you score the movie as? Like... Let's say this was Bruce Campbell as, you know, Father Dick Cummings instead of Reggie Bannister. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I probably still would have scored it about the same. Like, okay. okay. I mean, so you don't think Reggie is like, you don't think you're, you're going to be skewed towards Reggie in that regard for this one? No, I, I, I think I'm still pretty impartial because okay. to be fair, he plays so little in the film. Like he's almost a punchline in his own fucking movie. Which I'm sure was intentional. It, yeah. It, like, the, even, the guy you have described would have done that as a fucking joke. Yeah, like, even when he's paying the bill for the fucking movie, he still can't get a major lead role by himself. Like, that's Reggie Bannister, and he knows that, so he plays to it. I mean, it's... Yeah. I can't buy my own lead role. What the fuck right, is exactly. this? Right, exactly. Reggie Bannister can't even buy a lead role. That's that's the lead that was buried in this movie, that Reggie Bannister can't even buy himself a good part. That's what this movie is. And for that, this movie does exactly what it sets out to do. Is it great cinema? No. Is it a great Saturday night, you know, beer and burgers horror movie? Yeah. Like, I don't know. One out of five want to give it higher 
don't know that I can justify it. Thought I should give it lower. Know that I can't. By the way, the sequel is in pre-production. So hopefully next year we'll be able to come back to bloody, bloody Bible camp. And I mean, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do for that. But I... I, They're making another one of these things. Yeah, I got to tell you, I... I don't know what they're doing, but I can't wait to see what it is. Oh my gosh, that's wow! I, I, oh god! You know what? If he knows he's on his way out, let the man do whatever the hell is gonna make him happiest. And shit like this just seems like it's gonna make him happy. So I mean, and and I hope it makes a million dollars. Like. The, I want everybody to watch this movie, mostly because I want people to watch this movie so that Reggie gets a little bit extra money out of it. I mean, you know, 25 cents of you on Tubi or, you know, Prime, whatever he gets from it. Give him all the dimes you can, because this man, I, I can't imagine he really made much money on the horror circuit for 30 years. But let me tell you, he, I'm not kidding. I never went to a convention that I didn't see him at. Even ones where he wasn't billed, he was there because he's part of the community. He's a fan of these movies, and he likes bad movies enough that not only does he star in them, not only does he go out of his way to be in them, he fucking paid for one to exist. So watch it for that, if nothing else. Mm. All right. We would also like to thank Tracy Smith and Jessica Sadie Thompson for their support on Patreon. If you're interested in supporting this project, please go to patreon.com slash don't watch this film. There are, there are, um, there are options as low as $1. So please head on over a dollar might not sound like a lot, but like we were just saying about dimes, they add up and we cannot be more grateful for the support that we get from this community. Thank you so much to our patron uh, supporters. However, we also understand that money can be hard to come by. That is okay. We get it. If you don't have any money, but you do have a fairly active social media presence anywhere, we are on Twitter at Don't Watch This. We talk about what's going on in the world of horror. We look for new podcasts to recommend. We say when a new episode is going live, we have our patron poll announcements, and sometimes we turn to the community for patron poll film tiebreakers. So if there's films that patrons are voting on for us to watch and we can't decide between two of them, we'll go to the community and say, hey, vote on this for us. So if you want to be partially responsible for what the hell we subject ourselves to and you don't have a dollar but you do have a social media a like a comment a retweet it gets more uh ears on the podcast boosts engagement uh lets us find new people to follow and we thank you for it so if you don't have a dollar do have a social media you can support us we appreciate it either way thank you so much you are the reason that we have been doing this for 25 episodes yay god that's a lot of episodes who Hopefully thought we'd make soon. it this far? I know, right? Shit. <laughs> so here's the spot where we would normally tease the episode we're doing next. However, we can't because it was a Patreon poll, and the Patreon poll ended in a tie, and that went to a Twitter poll, and the Twitter poll doesn't close until a day after the time that we are recording this. So I can't tease what movie we're going to be watching next week. So you're just going to have to come by to see what it is. Because at the moment, not only do you not know... I don't know either. 
So one is kind of in the lead, but that could change with like three mouse clicks. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it, it was it was a tie for the Patreon, and it's neck and neck on Twitter. And one of them is an '80s version, and one of them is a very modern version. And it's going to be interesting to see who wins. I'm kind of excited for both. So there we go. However, for now, this has been Don't Watch This Film, and I have been W. Adam Clark. I have been Tia, and until you hear from us again, and we figure out what the hell we are actually watching next week. Don't watch this film.